All right, today on the show, we have a man who can embrace the suck and is like an effing robot. Yeah, the vegan cyclist himself, Tyler Pierce. Then Sarah's News talks about Billie Eilish, her mom, and how cheese is literally like crack. But first, let me tell you about Next Wave. Yeah, Next Wave Services is a website design company that provides high-quality website design and maintenance work for businesses at a flat rate. Next Wave was born from the idea that everybody needs access to seamless, reliable, and professional website design and maintenance service on a consistent basis. Next Wave believes that their excellent track record of repeat business is proof of their commitment to delivering first-class service all of the time. Get a free website consultation when you check them out online at nextwaveservices.com. They were founded way back in 1998 when Eric Rogers was just in fourth grade. Wow, that's a long time ago. It's next, Wave Services. It's time now for the Real Men Eat Plants podcast, your daily deep dive into sports, pop culture, beer, and food, all with a plant-based spin. I'm Dee, and along with news anchor Sarah Carlson, producer Eric Rogers, and the rest, here's a man who always has a plant-based plan before leaving the house. Rich Reynolds. Hello, hello, and what is up? And welcome to the Real Men Eat Plants podcast. My name is Rich Reynolds. I just wanted to jump on quickly here before we turn it over to our guest, the vegan cyclist Tyler Pierce, who is going to be on just to let you know that I'm hoping that you are liking what you are hearing and subscribing to the podcast. You can subscribe anywhere that you get podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, all of the good ones and wherever else that you get your podcasts. Or you can just jump on realmeneatplants.com, click on the podcast button and subscribe there. While you're there, there's another button that I hope that you are going to hit, and that is the support button. That support button will not only support the podcast, but also Paul's party. And that is really a good thing that we have been talking to you about for quite some time now. And also Kathy, who is Paul's mom, we had on a few days ago. You should check that one out as well. So please click on that support button and support too great causes. Also, while you're there, take the 30-day challenge. Sign up. If you haven't gone plant-based yet, why not try it out for 30 days? We will get you everything that you need to support you along the way. In fact, we'll send you supportive, uh, uh, all kinds of like articles and stuff like that, plus recipes and lots of other things to get you through those 30 days. And maybe, just maybe, you'll like the plant-based lifestyle enough to go ahead and stay on it. Also, while you're there, check out our blogs. I got a few up there. Um, Real uh, Women Eat Plants has got a few up there. Ashlyn has been blogging as well. And Brian Denstead, a lot of good stuff uh, from some very creative and talented people is up on our blogs. You could also find us on YouTube as the YouTube channel is up. We got some interviews that are up right now, not full-fledged uh, like episodes like you can get in the podcast, but the interviews of the celebrities that we have been interviewing are, are slowly coming up 
up there. I think I got four or five up there right now. You could also find us all over social media on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. If you're looking for Eric Rogers, he is at Eric Rogers Brand. If you're looking for Sarah Carlson, she's at News Sarah. And for me, I am at RME. P. Rich. So please, again, like and subscribe today, and hopefully you can support the show as well because you're going to get great stuff like we have coming up. Tyler Pierce, the vegan cyclist. Man, this guy will blow your mind. The stuff that he does and the videos that he does. Yeah, stick around because that is coming up next. Welcome to Sheilor Select. The whole system will be ready in a few minutes. Take your seat. Everyone has a story that's built on thousands of hows, whys, and whats. Join myself, Chris Sheeler, as I dive into how people live their lives, why they do what they do, and what goes through their mind while they do it. If you love learning and what makes people tick, my podcast, Sheeler Select, has you covered. New episodes every Monday. Find it on YouTube, Spotify, Apple, or just anywhere you get a podcast. All right, guest time now, and our guest today describes himself as an ordinary dude, but I think he is extraordinary by most any definition. He's trained in Brazilian jiu-jitsu. On a bicycle, he's scaled Mauna Kea, endured Death Valley, toppled Telluride, among others, and he has a huge following on YouTube and across social media because... He is dope, bruh. He is a Category 2 NCNCA racer and still has time to be a husband, a father of two, and so much more. Please welcome to the Real Men Eat Plants podcast, the vegan cyclist, the one, the only, Tyler Pierce is with us today. And holy cow, Tyler, thank you so much for being here. Yeah. Well, there's the audience. Get that Tyler. round of applause in there. <laughs> Uh, I, I They're always hire, a little bit late. I need to hire you to hype me up every room I go into. Like that's I need that absolutely. <laughs> Whatever I show up to, your voice. Did yeah. you know Ring? Does, Rich does ring announcing, so that's probably why it okay. sounds as good as it does. So yeah, I do, <laughs> do was, boxing, ring announcing, cage announcing. That's I, I try to build it up. I ramp it up, you know. And yeah, know. exactly. You're, you're like, I definitely buffer, bro. That's uh, that, that's, yeah. that was good. That was, that was class A right there. All right, easy. Easy. Rich's head yeah. doesn't need to get any bigger. Yeah, I wish. Yeah, yeah exactly. Uh, I do wish I was making Bruce Buffer's paycheck. That would be all right. Um, dude, you know, I I watched the breathe video that's just right at the beginning, uh, you know, on your website. It's, it's on your social media. And I did this last week when, when you said, OK, you'll, you'll come on the show. And it made me go on a bike. And I haven't been on a bike in a long time. And all those things that you described about your legs burning, your lungs, all that kind of stuff. I'm like, yep, I'm, ex I'm experiencing this, but I'm just going to breathe. The one thing that I couldn't get over, though, were the blisters on my ass, the saddle sores that came from riding a bike for the first time in a long time. And then, and then I tell you, you're on a bike for 24 straight hours riding 350 miles in an ultra race. How the hell, first of all, First of all, does your ass handle it? And second of all, why did you get started on, on this crazy path? Because uh, it really is something. Yeah. So, well, so, okay. So that's like a really common thing for people to say like, oh, your ass must hurt. Um, and mm -hmm. I need a better seat or something like that. But when you get a little bit more into it, the way you're fitted on your bike is, is really important. And so there's like three pressure points. There's your pedals, your saddle, and your bars. And if you are fitted right, 
then that's all evenly distributed. And then you actually don't hmm. like have any issue with your ass whatsoever. Um, okay. Now I I've probably over time, I have like just a taint of steel, uh, but it's, <laughs> it's never, yeah, it's never really an issue for me. You know what I mean? So, um, uh, but yeah, no, I mean, and it's, they do so say it's a, kids, so a lot. It, it's a crazy journey. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, so it's, it's a crazy journey with this whole thing because, um, I never wanted to be a cyclist and I definitely didn't want to be vegan. Like if I was talking to a 21 year old me and I said, Hey, you're going to be a vegan cyclist for a living. I'd be like, you're like, no, like that's this is a joke. Like not, not going to happen. Uh, and so it's so wild to have gone through such a transformation, uh, to something that I would say I was so far away from, um, because that wasn't how I was brought up. Like I wasn't, I wasn't hippie. Like, uh, at, at a certain point I, you know, I owned a motorcycle shop when I was, uh, 18 to, to 21, um, during the heyday of the economy, like 2004 to 2008. Uh, and at that point, like, what did I have as role models as, as a man? And this was just like wearing a really nice suit, being single, living in like some high rise apartment, driving nice cars, money is everything. Uh, that's, that's what I was just hoping to be. And so then mm -hmm. over time, as everything just fell apart in my life and, uh, I lost my business and, and like my whole identity was stripped from me. And, you know, we were in a foreclosed home, uh, just waiting to be evicted. Like, and I'm working in some like shitty little office being a debt counselor that, that strip of everything you think you are, is really important because then you see who you are and, and you're not able to hold up a mask anymore. And so then you have, might have to make changes because you're like, I actually, I'm actually a shitty person. <laughs> and so then, uh, <laughs> you know, my wife, my wife now, my girlfriend at the time, like she was the only one that stayed around with me. Like she went through this whole roller coaster with me. Uh, we got together when we were 18 and, you know, just realizing like, people are important, uh, people that care about you are important. And then, um, you know, I also got really fat during this process because, uh, mm. I was just super depressed. I like, pulled a mattress out in the living room and was just playing video games all day and just eating all day because that's, I, there's nothing else to do. And I was just trying to like drown my like depression of being a business owner to then being like borderline homeless. And, uh, mm -hmm. and so then there was a moment where I went to a wedding, I went to a friend's wedding and I saw a picture of me from that wedding. And in my head, I am like a good looking guy and like, I'm kind of fit. But then in that picture, I was just super fat. I mean, I was like 220 pounds, not a good looking 220 pounds, just like all fat. And, and I was just like, what the hell is that guy? Cause that's not who's in my head. And, uh, and then, I really had to try to make some decisions on, on changing, you know, my lifestyle. And that was a, a long journey of chasing health, um, that eventually led me you know, to be some ultra distance vegan cyclist. And, and that's like the difference between where I was and where I am now is just wild. Man, I, I tell you, you know, you were talking about that journey and, and going from, 
you know, your lifestyle to kind of realizing this is not who I'm meant to be, you know, and I don't know if you were an active person necessarily at that time about, you know, when you're telling this story before the weight gain, but you know, what was it like for your wife? Because, you know, her husband, you're, you're, you have two kids and then you go on this journey to become the vegan cyclist. And that might not even been a part of your life. And it wasn't like you said, you didn't imagine that it would be. So how was that adaptation like for your family? Well, so I went vegan when my son was two or three. Um, and so, you know, he, he doesn't really remember a whole lot of like meat at all. Um, and my daughter, definitely what was actually really funny just recently, we were in Hawaii and, uh, there's just random chickens everywhere in Hawaii. And, uh, so then we come we're on a walk and there was a chicken like trapped in a cage in a bush. Like, so like locals will trap these chickens and cause they're just everywhere. And my daughter, who was four at the time, she was like, why is this chicken? Why is this? Why is this happening? And I go, well, a lot of people eat chickens. And she did not have the construct to understand what that even meant. Like, this is a, this is a chicken. People eat food. They're, they don't eat chickens. Like, she couldn't even understand. Like, it wasn't even, she just, like, dismissed it. Like, my dad's insane. You know what I mean? Like people don't eat chickens, all right? Because she's just never really been around that or or been shown that lifestyle. And it was like kind of a moment where I was like, oh, that's so wild that she doesn't even have a box to put an understanding into, uh, let alone that I have to change or help her change or anything like that. Like it's just, it was kind of crazy. Um, but my wife, she grew up in the mountains. And so I, what's kind of funny is I think like, what she envisioned her life being is like married to some scruff and rough mountain man that like chops wood and wears flannel, you know, uh, definitely not <laughs> a vegan cyclist. Like, you know, that's not, that wasn't her trajectory. Um, but she's just been so, so supportive in everything. Um, and I really try to make sure our relationship is, is 100% on both sides. Like some people go, it's 50, 50, like it's not 50, 50. It's, 100, 100, you have to give 100% to your partner to expect 100% back. And as soon as someone does 95, well, then that other person does 87 and then 72 and then 45. And then both of you guys are giving zero fucks, right? Because like, I'm not going to do for you <laughs> what you're not going to do for me. And I think that there's been a right. lot of opportunities in my relationship with my wife to, to guarantee her that she knows I'm going to return a hundred percent of the effort. And so without question, and that's hard, right? It's hard to come back from a bike ride and immediately jump into dad mode or husband mode um, and not complain, not talk about it. Right. I mean, we, uh, I was gone for three weeks on this crazy bike trip. There was like three different events and, um, it was just a lot. Like I was gone. They, they came out to Texas on the last week, you know, but I had been gone for three weeks. I'd been racing back to back to back. It was just so much. The second we flew back into town, uh, for my wife's birthday, we had ordered her the new Bronco, uh, back in 2020. And it had actually just gotten delivered May of 2022. So, uh, you know, I'm like texting with the dealership, and so the first thing we do is we fly back from Texas. I've been gone for three weeks. I just want to be home. Like, I don't want to do anything, but like, that's what, like, no questions asked. Like, we're going to go and get, pick her up this car. Like, 
Like this is her dream car. She ordered it online. Cool. And then so like now I'm spending three hours at a fucking car dealership with some sleazy car dealer. You know what I mean? Like this is not what I want to do. Um, but <laughs> that's you, that hundred percent, right? And so then, <laughs> and and then she God. and the kids get to drive this brand new Bronco back because we live an hour from town. So where we flew in, you know, top down like hair in the wind, and I'm just in this stinky like van, just like <laughs> like. <laughs> all the way back up but it's like whatever right like this is this is opportunities to make her know i'm a hundred percent there for her so when i slowly started making health changes over time you know she was always there with me i mean i didn't eat my first salad till i was like 24 right like that was the first time i'd ever Jeez. ate a salad and Jeez. uh <laughs> and so then you know we would just slowly it was like uh michael Pollan said uh eat whatever you want, just cook it yourself. And that was something that I latched onto. And I was like, okay, because I'm not giving up bacon cheeseburgers, uh, but I, if I want to eat it, I got to cook it myself. So then my journey became this, it's fast food three times a day. Like legitimately, that's mm. all we were eating. That's and, wild. And then it was like, okay, well, I want burgers and fries. So then I started learning how to cook burgers and fries. And then what do you do? Well, you touch the beef and you touch the bacon and you're you're connecting with it so now you want that better bacon and better beef right you're like well i want grass-fed and free range and so then you start getting into more of like a culinary experience and then you start feeling a little better and then you get like better ingredients and then you start realizing that the more vegetables you add the better you actually feel. So then it's just, it was this slow process of where we went from, you know, burgers and fries to like, you know, maybe a nice steak with some mashed potatoes and butter to then like salmon and like asparagus and potatoes to then at a certain point, like our protein on the plate was like a very small piece of turkey or, or salmon. And the rest of it was, it was like borderline vegan, right? And uh, mm -hmm. then, because I just started riding and I was trying to become a little more faster and I was looking for performance gains. Um, and then actually what really ended up happening is that I, I didn't go vegan for animal rights. That's not like the main, my main focus, but we had chickens. We were on five acres. Uh, we had these silkies. They're like bougie high level chickens. They're like awesome. And it was a really neat experience because they just roamed our land. We'd feed them. We'd protect them they would come and like lay an egg in a flower pot squawk and then leave. And it was like, this feels really <laughs> like a symbiotic relationship. Like this is neat. Uh, and, and anyways, they had chickens. So like we had a rooster, uh, one of them laid eggs, they hatched. So then I had these baby chicks in my hand. And then I saw that video where they sex the chicks and they toss the males mm -hmm. into the wood. Now I've seen that video a ton of times before this, but without that context, without holding a baby chick in my hand that I feel connected to, that video d did nothing. But then when I saw it and I ha and my chickens are roaming, I thought, well, could I do that? Could I take this baby chick and throw it into a wood chipper with like just straight faced? And I was like, I don't fuck. And like all of a sudden <laughs> I, I had so much pain in my heart. Uh, it, it was so weird. And so then I was like, okay, well I'm done. 
I'm vegan. And it was just like a, a literal light switch. Uh, and, and then I, so, you know, for breakfast we had like bacon, eggs, and yogurt. And then for lunch, I come down and I'm like, Hey babe, I, I watched the wrong YouTube video and I'm vegan. And she's like, what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> you watched the very right video. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I was just like, yeah, this is this, uh, I don't know. I mean, that something's Gosh. changed and she was so supportive and she was just like, well, I mean, whatever you want to do, like, we'll, we'll support you and we'll try it with you. And, and that's something that like in the plant-based journey, if you don't have a support team around you, it's probably impossible, right? Like if my wife's still making yeah. all, you know, regular food uh, and meat and all that stuff, I'm going to have a weak point and then I'm going to eat a little bit. And then it's that slippery slope. Like to me, I sort of drew a line in the sand and I said, I'm never going to cross this uh, because I will just revert back. And I've done so much work to get to this point that I'm just going to exist from here on. Like I'm not even just not even going to think about it. Now, some people I think battle with, with that, uh, or maybe they want to eat meat or what, for whatever reason, genetically, it works for me flawlessly. I have never once in the last eight years ever thought, man, I really wish I could eat a cheese pizza or I wish I could eat a burger. Like it's just not, it's just not there. And, uh, and that's not me trying to hype it up or anything like that. It just doesn't exist. Um, and, and I think a part of that also though comes from the side where I came in through cooking. And so I actually know how to make good broccoli. Like my Brussels sprouts, I, I think they would win awards, you know, like, I, I mean, they're very, very good. And, and when I have people come and eat dinner with me, they're just like, I don't know. How did you make this? Like, what is how did you do this? And it's like, well, that's, it's sea salt and oil. Like it's not, a, it's not magic, you know, but how right. many people <laughs> grow up with their parents, uh, microwaving broccoli and not seasoning it and being like, eat your vegetables, kid. And it's like, right. I'm not going to eat that. I'm not eating plain steamed broccoli. That sucks. You know? So like for me, I know how to make vegan food taste good. Um, we, we've gone to vegan restaurants almost every time I'm like, I, I could have done better. I'd rather just cook at home. Mm -hmm. so yeah. That's like me cooking and my wife cooking. Yeah. We, we got a background in that. And so we're always cooking and it's like, yeah, we'd rather just eat the stuff that we make at home because it does turn out pretty damn good. You know, in, in watching the video of you doing the ultra race. And again, I, I watched it right before um, we ended up talking today. There, there's kind of a mentality though, that that's pervasive about you that I think helps you along the way. One is it seems you're very proud of the fact that you've never DNF'd. So a DNF means did not finish and you've never DNF'd and, and and that seems to That's drive you impressive in itself. Absolutely, especially Seriously. in some of these these endurance bike races and, the, and and the stuff that you've gone through. And if you watch this video, I mean, it's a gravel race across Kansas. You would think 350 miles on flat surface would be okay. Holy crap! The stuff that you endured and going through the mud and the the wind, the rain, and all of that kind of stuff just seemed nasty. But the second thing is too, you, you got off to a bad start in the race. 
And then you had this this point that you made, let the body lead the mind. Can you explain that a little bit? Because I think that that probably does help you. And it's something that people might not quite understand because you're always told like, okay, psych yourself out. Let your mind push through this. You know, you got to, you know, got, got to get up for it mentally. But letting the body lead the mind seems to work for you. Explain well, it if you could. Okay, so... Over time, through all these crazy projects, like this, I didn't just like wake up and be some inspirational guru, right? Like I am just a normal dude mm-hmm. who just says yes to life, and so I say yes, and I don't think about it. I don't overthink. I don't like stress myself out. And so when you know Jeremiah originally had asked me to do this Hawaii project, you know I didn't even look at the route. I don't know how long it is. I don't know how tall it is. I don't know shit, but I'm going to say yes. And I'm going to figure it out when I'm out there because then what happens is it puts you in a survival mode of like, okay, well, if I don't finish this, I'm dead. So like you just all of a sudden get into a position where your primal instinct takes over. And that is a very, very primal or very uh, powerful uh, energy is, is, is a primal energy. So then over time, I've just slowly learned that your mind it's a computer, right? And it's a rev limiter and it, it, you could kill yourself uh, if your mind wasn't there. Like you could just (laughs) rev your heart to 200 beats per minute forever and and die. And there's all these, these doors in place to prevent you, um, you know, from creating real damage to your body. And so what, what do you listen to and what can you push past And what I've learned is that your body is capable of unimaginable feats. What gets in the way is your mind. And so then people just assume, oh, well, he's so fit and he's so this and, and, you know, his body is so much better than mine. Bro, we all have arms. We all have legs. We all have muscles. It's objectively, like, very similar, right? We have very small differences in our physical form. You know, and those do make obviously marginal gains and like that, you know, that is important to be a little bit fit. But for the most part, your mind is what makes the greatest difference. And so when in my mind, it's just going on a loop, quit, stop, hurting, pain, stop, hungry, quit. Okay, well, that's fine. I'm going to let that play on repeat, but I'm just going to disassociate my mind from my body and my legs will keep pedaling. And then eventually, at a certain point, whatever's going on in the mind will fatigue out. And, and that like negative Nelly, that negative aspect that is totally natural. And I think that people, they, they weight it too much. They're like, oh, I, you know, my brain says quit. I should listen. I should quit. You don't have to listen to that. It's just an automated program going on in the background, right, for <laughs> self-preservation. So like, this is like super hippie, but over the times that I've been doing ultra endurance things where we're in Death Valley, where we rode across Montana, 52 hours and five days, you know, we, we did Virginia, you know, Colorado, West Texas, like these, these are moments where whatever you think you are, you have to hold that up. Like you're holding these shields and masks and like there's an energy that you have to um, hold this protection around you. And when you get into a position where you're just so exhausted and so hungry and so defeated, 
all of that comes down. And then it sort of opens up your core, your core code, like a, like a fucking robot. And it's like, okay, I can see here what is happening and why it's happening without me thinking about it. And then all of a sudden you're, you're separated from your like biology. And like, it's so strange because then there's this consciousness uh, that's floating above this like weird machine. And then you get to see that machine in work. And then, then it becomes so like, oh, like, okay, I understand these signals. I understand when my brain thinks this, when these voices are said, it's not really that they're, that's me. That's just a mechanism of exhaustion. Uh, that's a mechanism of thirst. That's a mechanism of, of, you know, fatigue. So then you just understand, okay, when this message hits me like a pop-up on a computer, Hey, your memory's running low. Well, how low? Okay. Well, I, bro, I got four gigs left. Like I can, I'm, I'm good. I don't have to listen to this pop-up right, right now. You know what I mean? Now there is a point in which you need to like the alert that's like, Hey, your, your back's broken. Like stop riding. Like, okay. You know, uh, right. I got to listen to that, you know, but it's, it, it just takes time. And then, yeah, just let your body take you where you needed to go. And, and that's so very difficult to do in practice. It's easy to say, uh, but let your mind, let your mind be negative. Like all these, these gurus of being like, Oh dude, your mind is be positive. You can't control that all the time. So just get comfortable with your brain being an absolute asshole to you. And, but don't stop. Just keep moving. I love that so much because, mm -hmm. uh, and I'm a, I'm a track and field coach, uh, Tyler. And, and one of the things for our high school athletes that we tell them is, is like that mindset thing as well, but donate your body to the cause. So like, we're going to put you through this workout and we're going to get you to the point that it's, it's like muscle memory, if you will, and just kind of go through it. And like you said, that survival mode is, is, um, it's, you, you put that in such a way that it's, it's a little bit out there, but I, I understand what you're trying to say. And, and I understand where you're going with it and why you said it the way you did. And uh, so Sarah, who uh, having some trouble getting her back into the call, but she wanted to know she's, and she's a marathoner and she's a distance runner and a very strong willed person. And from your perspective and your team and all the people that you race with and bike with, do they go vegan or do you have, uh, other folks who see what you do and say, you know, maybe I should give that a try. Uh, yeah. Um, I've had, I've had some high level athletes, uh, dabble in plant-based and then, and then make the total switch. They don't, uh, publicly speak it, right. Because they don't, that, that word vegan is, is still pretty like, uh, heavy. <laughs> get you some looks maybe, you know what I mean? Um, it's sort of like mm -hmm. an activist -y term. Mm -hmm. Um, which I have always thought is so weird. If you're 99% healthy, okay, you eat salads and you run and you're, you're, you know, uh, all your, everything you eat is ultra healthy, but you still eat a little bit of meat. Everyone applauds you. You're so healthy. You're so amazing. The second you make that 1% click over to be in all plants, bro, you're a skeleton. You're dying. You're murdering yourself. <laughs> like, the anger that goes from yeah. like, applauding someone for being healthy to then like, it's just, so, it's so close. <laughs> you know, I don't understand. Uh, but yeah, I've had, 
I've had some people, you know, have conversations with me and like, Hey, I'm, I'm looking to reduce, you know, my, my animal product intake. And, you know, I, I've never once told anyone to go fully vegan. I, I just tell them to eat mostly plants and you'll be okay. Uh, and then what ends up happening is you eat more plants, you feel better. You want to eat more plants, you feel better. It's just a thing that goes on and, and you can't, just like with politics or any like religion, anything, I can't yell at you and make you change. Like this is a change that has to come from your exactly. own experience. And that experience takes a different amount of time for different people. And so, you know, give them the tools, let them know it is possible, uh, but they're going to have to kind of figure it out on their own and, you know, what works for them and, and the timeline on how aggressive they're going to be with it. You know, um, you actually, in, in watching that, that movie and doing the ultra race, talk about that was the most fun you've ever had on a bike. And I'm thinking to myself, no way, no way, no <laughs> sleep, riding through the night, mud caked on your face and all of that. Is this the most fun you've ever had on your bike? So if, if you really think back on it and all these rides, and I, I listed a bunch of them that, that, that you've been on, you've talked about, uh, you know, biking across states and all that kind of stuff. What's been your, your favorite ride? The one that you look back on and say, man, I would do that one again. I can't wait to do that one again. Or I really loved it. Like it's set in my mind as my all-time favorite. What, what, what do you think it would be and why? Yeah, it's impossible to say that because they're all different. There's a context. Type 2 fun is, is very subjective, right? And so what you consider... Um, success or fun or enjoyable uh comes comes from the memory of it usually and but but in unbound when i said that where that was coming from was i mean we were at 330 miles into a race that i have been wanting to quit for so long uh and then you know i made it to this point i'm feeling great and then it's just pouring rain. And now there's this element that isn't just about riding. And that's what I really like is when it's more than just power. That's more than just pushing on the pedals. Like now we're talking about skill because uh, it's very hard to ride through this mud. Um, it's, you know, you're talking about your ability to endure like hard times. Like, and so for me, my face is just covered in mud. I can't see. My eyes are grainy. And it's just like, this is life, you know, because I know that I am so close to this being done. And so the worse it gets, the better the experience. And that is one big thing that I've learned is to embrace the suck. You, okay. You go, I, I really hope <laughs> I've heard that. I love that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, so like, I hope it doesn't rain. Well, then as soon as it starts sprinkling, you're mad. Right. And then you're like, ah, shit, it's raining this sucks. Then it starts raining more and you're like, well, you know, why me? You're like, Bleh. your mindset, the way you framed it is, is, is not allowing you to enjoy what it really is. So when you embrace the suck, uh, if it rains, I hope it fucking snows. I hope there's lightning bolts everywhere. I hope that we are going through epic conditions. So then when it never reaches that like insane level, you're actually enjoying it. Like the worse it gets, the better it becomes in your mind. Just reframe the thought. And so, you know, again, like 
objectively, was that the most fun I've ever had? No, right? Like, but given the context of I am going to finish this and how good I'm going to feel sitting on a couch drinking a sparkling water, because, okay, objectively, sitting on a couch drinking a sparkling water, like, what is that? It's like a one out of a ten. It's like not even a thing. It's not even an experience. Given that I just rode 350 miles through hell, uh, and now that makes that so amazing. And I think that that's, to me, what ultra-endurance sports really are able to do is they recalibrate your spectrum. So I think everyone has a spectrum uh, from 0 to 10. You can't... That, and that's it, right? So a 10 is the greatest thing you've ever experienced. A zero is the worst thing you've ever experienced. Let's say you are a, uh, a, a, a the son of a billionaire. Okay, your life is extremely bougie. Having cold coffee could literally be a seven or eight on your skin. Like, well, like a two, right? There would be like a two on your skin. Like, it's terrible. This is the worst thing that's ever happened to me. How, <laughs> right? You're experiencing a two, right? Okay. But, but let's say, so cold coffee is a two to this person when you might have some 12 year old boy in like Africa running from like militants trying to chop his head off. That's a two because he deals with that often. You know what I mean? So the same level of experience is totally different in the context in which that experience is, is portrayed. So, you know, I have a pretty comfortable life and Eventually, over time, when I'm not doing crazy adventures, that spectrum gets to be like, my coffee is cold. It's not, I get to have coffee. It's now, oh, my coffee's cold. Oh, I don't have enough coffee. Like, it starts to be this, where coffee is a bad thing, like it's a negative thing, versus when I'm in the middle of Montana, oh, shit, someone brought coffee. Like, it's raw. I'm just crunching beans in my mouth, you know, and, and I'm stoked, <laughs> right? Like, so... So it's, it's, it's putting yourself in a position where all of a sudden you realize like just having fluid is awesome, right? Just being able to move your body is awesome. Uh, you know, going through hard experiences, they, they, they adjust your spectrum. It, it's recalibrating it, but this, you can't just do it once. You have to redo that all the time. And that's, that's what I love about these. When I go into an adventure, I'm thinking I can't wait to recalibrate so when I go home and I'm washing the dishes, that that's a good thing. That's on the high, like, this is an eight. I'm so fucking stoked to be home in a house <laughs> with my family. Yeah, I'm washing the dishes, but I'm not walking my bike through the sand in Death Valley. <laughs> well, what you are probably doing is getting that, that eight experience. Uh, you know, we're based in Madison, Wisconsin, so I'm going to talk about that ride you had through Wisconsin you posted recently. Yeah. I'm sure that was, you know, an adventure because you never know what kind of weather you're going to get, you know, in a given day. Um, but to kind of just turn it a little bit, because I'm curious, when you're going on these ultra, you know, uh, you know, these long rides, these marathons, these 24-hour things, um, I got to know from a non-cyclist, uh, where do you go to the bathroom? <laughs> So if it's raining, like at Unbound, bro, I just pissed. 
it's raining, so it's just washing just everything off. Go. <laughs> so, like I just I just start peeing. Uh you know and that's but when it's when it's not raining, you can't just pee all over yourself. So uh it's actually really weird. Like so one, I don't really take in solid food. Uh almost all my calories come in the liquid form. Um and so that stops like the poop side of things. Uh you know well, that's and, good. <laughs> and because that that's really difficult. Like can't really stop to take a shit out there. Uh, and so, yeah, so I do a lot of liquid calories. Um, and you know, you try to pee as pee when you can, but a lot of that stuff is, um, you gotta, you gotta find the balance between hydrating enough and over hydrating, right? Cause you can't, you don't want to just keep drinking and drinking, and drinking. And then now, now you're a peeing all the time like that's slow and that's that's difficult and it obviously takes a lot of energy for you to hold and maintain your piss and like keep it heated in your stomach so um <laughs> like performance wise you don't really want to be needing to pee all the time uh but yeah i mean liquid calories for me is is essential uh for projects like that Dude, it seems like our show always goes there, Eric. Nice <laughs> job of, of bringing that up. Because even Sarah's got a story of like peeing while she's running a marathon, and there's a lady in front of her taking a dump while she's running. I'm like, my goodness, man, why does it always turn to this on our show? But um, okay, uh, I, I did want to ask too, because the, I, I think the films are, are kind of incredible that, that you do. And the, the, the production of it is a lot of GoPros and drones. Does it ever slow you down? Are you storyboarding ideas? How does, how does all of that work, or is this just just flying by the seat of your pants, camera on a helmet and go. So the production is as hard as the ride itself. Um, and that's mm -hmm. something that really gets lost in the story. I mean, I, I, I wish I'll have time to do behind the scenes stuff uh, because there's more story to making these work than there, than there is in the actual story of doing it. So for one, I edit these. Uh, I am the art director. Like I am, I am editing the film in my head while we're riding because, okay, it comes down to me. And if the video sucks, it's me. And so I have to make sure that I have all the clips I need. And over time I've, I've found how to string things together, how to tell a good story uh, visually. And so I will say to the film crew, Hey, I need, uh, you know, a, a side shot close. I need a side shot far. I need a locked off shot coming. I need a locked off shot leaving <laughs> in my head while I'm fucking riding for 36 hours. <laughs> you know, I'm like, okay, I need these shots. And so it gets really hard to get a retake on that too. Well, so, so yeah, right. okay. In death Valley, in death Valley, we did, we learned a lot and, we had to do a lot of reshoots. Um, Titus Canyon was one where like, it was so unbelievable. Uh, and, and we were just like repeating, right? Just up and down, up and down, up and down. You don't wow. see that, right? You don't see that we just did an extra three hours in Titus <laughs> Canyon because that's, we need it. You know what I mean? I need this footage. And so um, we've gotten better at being a little more like on the go. Uh, and not stopping so much to set up cameras and, and, and that sort of thing. We've uh, worked with a lot of different videographers, but some of this stuff, it's just, 
it's so hard to get. And so then we have, you know, GoPros uh, on us at all times. Like I literally have 10 batteries um, and, and three different GoPros because I've had op I've had parts where the GoPro just dies. Like I can't turn it on. This GoPro smoked. Okay. Then I'm pissed because like then the adventure happens and it's like, I'm not getting it on film. And so uh, I, I have really learned how to um, capture while also being in this. And then also you're at a point physically where you don't want to turn on the camera. You just are just dying. You don't want to do anything. You just want to be done. But that's when the story comes. Who cares when you're bright and bushy tail? Like this mm -hmm. isn't a story about two guys high-fiving and loving life. Like the story is when we hate each other. And, uh, and trying to get that and trying to capture that is, is a lot. Um, so in West Texas, uh, that was the most recent impossible route. We had, we spent a lot of money on our video guy. He's amazing. He's great. Uh, we had two follow cars. We had a van and a truck. They both flatted in the first 20 miles. Okay. So then dude, <laughs> all right. Uh, we'll figure out the flats, I guess. And we have to keep going. <clears throat> So then we didn't see the, the film crew for like 12 hours. You know what I mean? Like, and then they were, the van was actually stuck uh, for hours. They could, they were going to just push it off into the desert and come back for it later. And it was like a $250,000 Sprinter van that we had borrowed from Storyteller. So like, Oy. you know, the crew is going through this whole experience themselves. And, uh, you know, then the, the truck that we brought to be able to follow us on the really rough roads, uh, he flatted twice, so he had no spares. So it's like, okay. So then now they can only follow us on the road. And I am so very angry in my head. And, and Nick, this is something that I've really been trying to battle with is like, I'm out here trying to tell a film. It's, it's on me. Okay. So then if this film sucks, everyone else isn't getting blamed. Right, it's 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 my job to make this story, and if I don't have any footage, how do I do that? And so, like, now I'm just so frustrated because we don't like the guy we spent so much money on. Because I'm not getting paid; like, I don't get paid for this. All of the budget we have goes into hard costs and everyone else getting paid, but I don't get I don't take money from the edit because it wouldn't. It, we don't have the money. We don't have the budget, and I'm not going to just wait until we have enough sponsors. Like, I'm just going to get it done. So anyways, so I'm like, okay, everyone else is getting paid. And now I'm, I'm the fucking videographer, right? So I'm like, got the GoPros. And, <laughs> but anyways, and then, you know, you, you finish the thing and you start digging through the footage and now you got to tell the story. And what's wild is sometimes that shaky GoPro footage is so much better than the Ultra 8K red cinema camera on a gimbal it tells a better story. And that's another thing that's really wild is the cost of the footage that I have cut is just like, it's painful, but mm -hmm. it's like, man, we spent like four grand on this shot cut, like gone. You Oof. know what I mean? We're not using it uh, because it just doesn't tell a story. And you know, that's, that's something where I feel like very proud of, of how I've learned how to tell a story without 
chasing a sponsor plug or like, you know, being addy about it. You know, I don't put mid-roll ads in the videos. And in two of the films, Canyon's the title sponsor, two of them, we never say the word Canyon. We never say hmm. we're on our Canyon Luxes. We never even say Canyon, right? And so, and <laughs> Canyon, they don't even see the films until they're live on YouTube. So hmm. the creative control that I have with the partners is unparalleled, right? Like that wow. just doesn't happen in, in the media industry. Like how many people want to piss in the soup and be like, well, okay, it's an hour and 15. We, we need to cut this down to four or 15 minute bites. And then we need mid roll ads. And actually, you know, we've got a sponsor from, you know, Traeger grills. So like, we need you grilling in the middle of the desert. And it's like, what the fuck, <laughs> dude, that's not the <laughs> Well, and you go for that authenticity. I think that's what, you know, people tune in for is, you know, when you're on the bike and you got, you know, you talk about the GoPro and how much that's a better, you know, experience for the, the viewers. And, you know, we, Rich and I and, and Sarah work in TV and news and have seen all that kind of stuff. And you're right. It's, it's sometimes it's the stuff you don't really expect or something that goes wrong that makes the best, uh, the best footage. Uh, and Rich, I don't know. You can kind of cut me short if we're uh, running short on time for the interview. But uh, I want to give you a little softball question because I noticed he had beer in your video, that breathe video. And here in the Midwest, it's pretty big and it's big for cyclists. So I don't know if you had uh, a favorite or sponsorship or what your post ride beer is. So just want to kind of get to know the man a little bit on that. Yeah. Well, so this this is uh, I don't drink beer. Uh, I, I it's not. A oh part my goodness! Life. Oh, you're phony. <laughs> I know. I know. <laughs> and so it's it, it is a, it's something that is is a bit of an issue because a lot of people they're like I want to take you out for a beer afterwards or you know that there's there's a beer culture uh, and in that breathe video I, I put that in there because that would resonate even though that's not my story that it, that is more people will resonate with that uh, and, and that's something about like how to connect with people is it through empathy just because I have mm -hmm. a certain perspective on the world doesn't mean that's your perspective on the world. And so mm -hmm. I need to learn how to understand we're all different and your lens is, is not necessarily my lens. So that was one of those things where I understand there's a beer culture. I understand people dig it. Uh, it's just, you know, not to get super deep, but my dad was never around. I, I was, I was raised by my mom and my grandma and just never saw beer associated as manhood. And that I think for a lot of people, they sort of associate that is like, that's what men do. That's what strength is, you know, and, and then they get into it and they enjoy it. And it's just not, you know, my mom, like drank Zimas, you know? So like when I was drinking in high school, I, it was smearing off ice, you know, like it just was never, it was, it was just never really a, a beer thing. And, and it's not, yeah, it's just really weird. It's not something I enjoy. Um, it's not something I, I, I partake, not because I have problems with alcohol in any ways. Like it's just, it's not really my jam. Uh, and so, you know, so sometimes that gets a little That's awkward cool. and, I, and I don't want to come off yeah. judgy. So then I, I just try mm -hmm. to like avoid the situation because it's, Okay. Okay. So the vegan cyclist doesn't drink beer. Go fuck yourself. You know what I mean? Like I'm already like a pretentious <laughs> asshole. You know, and and so then, I don't want to be that cycle. I mean, that's three strikes right there. So. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, 
Exactly. So, uh, what, what's next for you, Tyler? I mean, do you, do you have this stuff like planned out in advance? Do you, you know what rides you're going to do, or, or what what films you're going to do? What's next on the horizon for you? Uh, man, we got a lot. So, um, right now, I'm preparing this weekend to put on uh, a free ride in my town. So, like a lot of these fondos or events, they cost a lot of money, and that that cuts out a ton of the demographic of people who want to ride. And so I, I'm actually putting on a two-day Fondo that's 100% free uh, in my area. So that's kind of like a stressor right now is that I've got all these people coming up to my area. And, and uh, how do I feed them? How do I make sure that, that the time is good? And anyways, so that's going on. But then the next week, we're doing Impossible Route Episode 3 uh, through Oregon. That's a mountain bike trip through the Dark Divide. We're like riding over volcanoes and and... It's wow. totally crazy. So it's going to be like a survival type of thing. Um, we'll be out in the, the Oregon wilderness for three days. Uh, then after that, I have ultra distance nationals. That is my A goal for the years to become the ultra distance national champion. It's 508 miles in Nevada. Wow. Um, I really, really feel confident about that. Now, Am I ever going to wear an actual, you know, Stars and Stripes jersey in Elite Road or Crit or, you know, mountain bike? No, I'm just, I, I'll never achieve that level of fitness or dedication. But in ultra distance, that is something that is much more natural to me. And, it, and, and I don't, it's not like I hope I become the national champion. If, if all things work out, I'll become, it's like, I just got to show up. I'm going to be a national champion. And uh, that's really, really cool. It's really, really neat to see because I'm in, I was never an athlete. I was never supposed to be an athlete. It's never something I identified with. So to be just some random guy who picked up a bike and rode, like, around. And, it, and I haven't had success, like, right away. Like, some people, they have success immediately. They win races. They do cool things. This has been such a slow burn, right? Like, I started riding in 2010, um, so like I've been riding for a while and I haven't had much success. So then like, that's just fueled the fire. Like I want this success so bad. And so it's really a neat long form story of like, just not really being like, this isn't my pedigree. Like I don't have parents that were cyclists. Like I, I wasn't some national champion at like eight years old. This was just sheer will. And also trying different sports. So, like, one of the things is that sometimes I think people uh, lock themselves into a thing they want to be good at. I want to be, you know, a fast marathon runner. And then that's what you focus on. That's what you put your energy in. But maybe you just (laughs) suck at that. Maybe your genetics and your physical makeup are not marathon. Maybe you're a sprinter. So like, but if you're a sprinter type and you're trying to do marathons, you're, you're always going to be behind. Like you're never going to be great. So just find the thing you're physically naturally good at now, but that takes trying different things. Um, you know, and, and, and that's uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable to try new things, but who knows if you've never been like an Alpine skier, maybe you're the best in the world, but you've never done it. So you don't know. Right. So like mm-hmm. try new things, get outside your comfort zone and, and find the thing that like fits you the best. And 
my ability to uh, to deal with heat is like really like really really well. Like I my uh, ability to dissipate heat is is phenomenal. So like genetically, I already have this thing where I can operate in in high heat. So like this race in Nevada, like perfect, right? Good. Uh, my ability to quiet the mind over such a long period of time, like I'm I'm good at that. Uh, my power delivery is really good over. 24 hours, you know, and so there's all these little things um, that allow me to have success in this weird niche thing. But when I go to like a crit, which is like a one hour poop pants effort, all of those <laughs> things don't matter. Like my heat acclimation doesn't matter because it's not long enough. You know, my, my, my mental strength doesn't matter because it's all fitness based and my power profile doesn't really lend to that. So then it's like that one, that saying of like, if you judge a fish, a fish's ability to climb a tree, you know, okay, well, it's a fish, dude. It's not, it's not trying to climb a tree. So fine, fine. If you're a fish, find the pond. Absolutely. And, and you've tried different things. Uh, you know, we talked about the uh, Brazilian jiu-jitsu and, and then the cycling. You, you try track cycling. The cool thing is about your sport, if anybody cuts you off on a bike, you could always put them in a rear naked choke or a guillotine <laughs> or something go. like that. And that's and that's the end of that. Um, Tyler, you, you've been absolutely brilliant. But before you get out of here, I really would hope that you could tell everybody where they can find you. Obviously, lots and lots of people have. Um, there's websites or social media, the, the YouTube channel, all that kind of stuff. You're probably way better at telling people then I am pleased. Where can everybody find you at? So my long form films are on YouTube, uh, you know, YouTube, the vegan cyclist and um, uh, the impossible route is what I would say is like my, my legacy. Uh, those, you know, it takes 150 to 200 hours to edit one of those films. Um, so, wow. you know, you can look at the playlist uh, impossible route is, is yeah, it's the, the best thing I've ever done or created or been a part of. Uh, I also have videos. Um, I did an off the couch Ironman. You know, that one's really cool. My son ran with me the last mile of that, like, you know, wow. tears, tears. Like, it's so, so cool. Yeah. Um, you know, I have these other big, weird events like Unbound, you know, um, and there was one at Sea Otter where I raced all the bikes, like downhill, mountain biking, cross country mountain biking, road, uh, dual slalom, you know, a circuit race. Like, just riding in them all, all the bikes. It was like five races in three days. Like it was, it was crazy. Um, but yeah, so those are the films. And then Instagram is, is also where I put a lot of my shorter stuff. Uh, and just kind of like I'll daily vlog sometimes on Instagram story and put, put a lot of energy into that, you know? So I, I went to France and that was a big part of that whole project was like also then showing the life through Instagram um, and setting up the camera, like doing all this work to like, it's 24 hours. Like it goes away, you know? Uh, it, but I, I love the craft of telling a story and you wake up. How do I, how do I make you feel like you're here? And you know, that's, um, that, that's what I really try to do. And I, I love the craft of it. So Instagram, the vegan cyclist, YouTube, the vegan cyclist, uh, that's where you can find me. And maybe a new website called Tinked of Steel would be very good as well. <laughs> Love that. Uh, Tyler, awesome job, man. Uh, congratulations on all the success so far, continued success. And thanks for hanging with us for a while, dude. We really appreciate it. Absolutely. Thanks, guys.
All right, time to tell you about VegReg. Yeah, VegReg.com helps you find plant-based restaurants and businesses in just one click. And if you are a vegan-friendly business, they can help you get found. If you're searching for healthy, cruelty-free meal options in your local area, VegReg is the perfect solution. Another great thing about VegReg, they have recipes. And when I say recipes, I mean real recipes. A Bacon Lover's BLT. Cookie Dough Protein Bites, Penne Arrabbiata, now that's the entree and not the character from The Sopranos, and even a Vanilla Bean, that's Vanilla Bean, he said, cheesecake, and they are all plant-based. You can also find Spotlight Vegan Businesses and more when you click on over to VegReg.com. I would say tell them that Rich sent you, but you know, it's a website and no one would hear you. That's VegReg.com. She's a mom with vegetables. She's so delectable. The cows and pigs, she set them free. Can't you see? She's a hot chickpea. Veggie stew, just for you. Sit on down, there's these or two. She is playing hurt today. She woke up not feeling her best, but Sarah Carlson is going to bring the news to you anyways because she is one tough woman. Let's bring her in right now, Sarah Carlson. I was going to use the B word, but I wasn't sure if it would apply there, you know, so we'll just... I go badass bitch. Badass. I'll call Ooh, myself that. Badass bitch. I love and it. And you know what? I had to learn how to do the news here, news thing here for many, many years, no matter how I felt. Absolutely. So this is nothing. That, that's I'm how you do it. I'm a little bit of a cold. All right. I can handle it. So it's the news with start, the badass yeah. bitch then, Sarah. Take it away. All right. <laughs> we start with music star Billie Eilish and her mom. We've talked about Billie before. Yeah. But now they're being awarded for their environmental and vegan work. Very cool. The Environmental Media Association is honoring Billie and her mom. Her mom's name is Maggie Baird apparently very well known among activists. So their vegan advocacy, as it applies to the climate crisis in particular, hmm. is what's so important. So her mom, as I said, has been doing this for years and years. It's why Billy became vegan at age 12. Um, but Billy, again, so vocal about her decision to do so and why, which is so cool. So she in, uh, has joined other campaigns, including one last year, urging the president of the 2021 United Nations Climate Change Conference, say that five times fast, mm -hmm. but to include the role of animal agriculture in all of their discussions about the climate crisis. I read that and I went, well, they weren't already doing that, so they're pushing. Um, Eilish has also worked to get her fans involved in her current tour because it includes the, quote, Billy Eilish Eco Village. It's an activation on the concourse of every show for concert ticket holders. So it showcases tons of information coming from their mom, her mom's nonprofit, which is called supportandfeed.org. That's a really cool website if you haven't checked it out before. Supportandfeed.org, technically run by her mom, but Billie Eilish is the one pushing people to go check it out, support it. 
And then she goes on stage and asks people to try to go vegan 30 days, just like we say. Yeah, we got um, our 30-day challenge at realmeneatplants.com. Yeah. And you know what I find interesting, though? So her mom's been a vegan advocate for some time, yet Billy didn't yeah. turn vegan until she was 12. So right. up until that point, was her mom feeding her meat and cheese and fish like how did that happen because usually moms kind of control what the kids are going to eat especially you know up until a certain point now i'm sure if she's with her friends or something that they were hitting mcdonald's maybe or something like that but but you would think you know yeah that all of a sudden that that it turned on so I'm, i'm kind of fascinated by by that aspect of it because you would think that if you had vegan parents that they would raise vegan children especially if they were that much of an ad advocate the first thing i think of is a possible divorce so that she Mm. ate meat and other things at dad's okay could be and then became this uh, i don't know more outspoken young woman at 12 that can happen i have one of those yeah (laughs) (laughs) and then said hey wait a second i'm gonna i'm really gonna think about this um and she's she seems like a very smart young woman too she has 105 that's all 105 million followers. Oh my on goodness. Instagram. Holy cow. That's Instagram only. And I went I went and checked out the page just to see what I could find and wow. Yeah. That's yeah, amazing. Lots of people following her. Yeah, good for so, her. Yeah. I know. And I, I, I thought right, the so vegan cyclist had a lot with like, you know, his 400, 500,000, you know, followers. I'm right. thinking, man, that's incredible. 105 million. 105 and she's remarkably talented a really really popular new artist and that generation that's awesome that's happening so okay next story veg news has new info that in it is in desperate need, I think, of billboards. The way this is the way I wrote it. In billboards everywhere. A report out of Canada, listen carefully, found that reducing meat consumption by 80%. And we were just talking about that with our guests too. A little bit of I mean that's a mm-hmm. huge reduction, but the difference could help Canada meet its twenty fifty climate target of net zero. Hmm. So we're not talking about giving it up completely. Right. You can start you can start but bit by bit, but reducing meat consumption by 80%. So the New World Animal Protection Research explained, too, that if Canadians reduce that consumption by 50, 50%, by 2030, that's only eight years from now, they'd be on track. So they're, you know, they have to get going. Absolutely. <laughs> and I'm thinking, will this happen? And this is not part of a news story, but I wanted to talk to you, Rich. Mm-hmm. Will this happen? How do we get? That's why I said we need a billboard. We need yeah, something. Yeah, we to need say. something. I think we need. You know, again, I, I think this all starts, and I, I go back to seatbelts. And again, you know, I've, I've kind of told the story. Yeah. Like when you and I were were, were kids and little kids, seatbelts weren't really a thing. We would jump around in station wagons, and parents mm-hmm. didn't care. And you know, the seatbelts be damned. But they started a seatbelt campaign, not just on TV and not just for adults. It was in schools. I remember that as a little mm-hmm. kid, and they would teach you how to put a seatbelt on and don't, you know, go in the car without a seatbelt. I was the one that in my family at like six, seven years old had to start telling, hey, grandma, put on a seatbelt. Hey, oh, yeah. dad, put on a seatbelt. I was the one that would nag my parents to it. And the thing was, my parents knew it was the right thing to do. And so by you kind of let the children lead the way on something like that. And, and my wife and I, we, we just had like a big discussion about this. This was this was last night. And um, my whole idea is, you know, listen. 
why don't they show everything about milk in its production and meat in its production to children and let them make up their minds because when when a kid goes to a dairy farm it's all like a happy day and they and they pull on the teat a little bit they meet the cows the cows are all sweet they meet a little baby calf it's all great and they have all these thoughts in their head about how great milk is but what they don't ever see are the rape racks the the calves being taken away from the moms Mm -hmm. they don't go to slaughterhouses tell the whole story let the kids see this and then right. they'll start telling the story to their parents hey mom and dad maybe we shouldn't do it everybody feels bad when bambi gets you know loses bambi's mom everybody that watches that movie knows that this is a terrible thing that's happened but don't make the association to what they're putting on their plate everybody says oh, i love dogs i love cats i'm an animal lover and though by the way i'm going to eat fried chicken for dinner like why do you not make that association like Tyler was talking about it, the the, the vegan cyclist, about raising mm-hmm. chickens. Let me tell you this. I know. Chickens have personalities. They're actually really smart. They could be very affectionate as well. Chickens are, are actually pretty cool. And you realize when these things have individual personalities, how the hell can you eat it? I mean, you're, you're taking away a sentient being, you know? And so why not tell that story through the kids and let the kids tell that story through their parents and educate the parents that way? And I think that's how you really start making inroads with it, is teaching the I children. I think the answer, the Rich, way. the why not is money. Yeah, well, it's I mean, definitely money. It's all money. Yeah. It's all, unfortunately, Absolutely. about money. In the last part of the story, I did a little research. It was separate from that. Um, article that I read found out that the richer the country, the more meat consumed mm-hmm. per person. Yeah. Lots so so why now that. with all that meat consumed and all that dairy consumed, aren't those countries the ones that have the strongest, fittest people, the least right. amount of obesity, the least amount of diabetes and congestive heart failure and all kinds of stroke. Those are the countries that have the highest of all of those things. Those are the fattest, slowest, worst-shaped countries that are taking the most drugs. Those are the ones that are in the worst possible shape, and they don't make the connection that, oh, maybe it's the crap that we're putting in our bodies. Right. Yeah. Well, and the Canadians, I know they, they're on a different level. I don't know as much about how Canadians eat compared to Americans here. But for the average Canadian, what their their goal is, it would be one meal per week could have meat and dairy mm-hmm. and then they would be where they need to be. So again, we are all on the real men eat plants, go purely vegan, but just down to one a, a week is what they're asking. for. You ever been and up to Canada? Feeling. I have. What'd you say? Have you ever been up to Canada? I have been to Canada once, but I was young, so I don't remember. Okay. I'll, I'll tell you what they eat. They eat Ketchup-flavored potato chips. They love them. They eat dill pickle-flavored potato chips. They absolutely love them. They eat poutine. Have you ever had poutine? No, what is it? Poutine is French fries with brown gravy on top. That all sounds really good. Anything with a potato. <laughs> Anything that's a potato sounds good. We to had me. We, we had James McKinnis on a few weeks back, the the CEO of Odd Burger, and they do have poutine on their menu, but it's all vegan. Um, so I I can't wait to try that when an Odd Burger comes near us, and they are rapidly expanding, yes. and I, I think that would be a lot of fun. But that's what Canadians eat a lot of, and they eat a lot of fries with malt vinegar. I don't know if you've ever tried that, which is mm. actually pretty damn good too. Um, yeah, salt and vinegar. You just chips use the and- word uh, chip or fry, and I'm in. 
It's yeah, it's it's a lot of potatoes and a lot of donuts for some reason. They love Tim Hortons up there. So if you've hmm. ever been to a Tim Hortons, it's kind of like a Dunkin' Donuts on steroids. Um, oh boy! So think of it that way. So <laughs> don't, that's don't bring it to what Wisconsin. Canadians eat. Which, by the way, though, I got to tell you, um, I, I love Canadians. Every Canadian I've ever met is like super friendly. I mean, they're just really cool people for the most part, and I yeah. love going to their country. It's always a lot of fun. So I'm not, I'm not speaking ill of them. I'm just telling you what I experienced when I've been there, and mm. that's what they eat a whole heck of a lot of. Well, now I'm hungry for chips. Thank there you. There you go. <laughs> And this, speaking of being hungry, our last story is geared toward folks like me, the vegetarians who love their cheese. Mm -hmm. So it's a story from thebeat.com breaking down what happens when a person gives it up. Okay. I know you know everything about this. You don't have to have me tell you, but it's a, a new study, though. So first and fascinating, in a study on food addiction, Yale researchers found that cheese triggers the same neuroreceptors for pleasure that drugs do. They do. Since yeah. cheese contains a dairy protein that triggers dopamine. So during digestion, if you're feeling that you're, oh, this is so great, like mm -hmm. that food coma, you could really literally be addicted to cheese. Absolutely. So uh, this, you know, if you've ever tried to give up anything addictive, cigarettes, alcohol, caffeine, there is a painful period. So this story talks about if you want to give up dairy because it's not good for you, um, it could take two to three weeks. So I really highly recommend checking out thebeat.com, that's B-E-E-T, to look for this story because it had so many good links about why this isn't good for you and the medicine behind it and the drugs and so on. But I'll read a short list quickly. Okay. About what when you give up cheese, I read that your joints are no longer swollen. Correct. Your skin can clear up. It does. Under eye bags. So see what I'm wearing a lot of makeup here. Mm -hmm. Under eye bags and puffiness can disappear depending on um, your skin. Your lower risk of heart disease, better breath. Yeah. <laughs> and hormones into balance. And not to mention cancers like breast cancer and prostate. I could talk all day. We don't have all day. Right. Man. All of those things are true. And I, I will tell you, cheese is like the hardest thing that I had to give up. And we're, we're in Wisconsin. We're, we're behind the uh, cheddar curtain. And it did take, it took about two weeks. It took about two weeks for my taste buds to change and for, for the cheese urge to go away. When, when I went vegan, I never had an urge for meat again. And I used to love meat. I, I, I eat meat all the time. But I, it went away as soon as I decided I'm not going to eat it anymore that was gone the only hmm. thing that held on was the cheese and there I, I do think it's because of the addiction that ends up forming there but i tell you what and this is this is totally true my wife will make vegan nachos or vegan mac and cheese and she makes this cheese sauce that basically consists of potatoes and carrots and cashews and onions and some spices like um that that the shins are putting their turmeric um nutritional I need her yeast. recipe yeah it, it's wonderful <laughs> i mean you you put Football it on, on top here. of nachos it, it's it's amazing i mean it tastes like cheese you're absolutely yeah. blown away um you know how how you can do it and you don't have like that dopamine connection then um which is a a real good thing nor do you have like that gut feeling or or any kind of breakout with your skin or you know lactose yeah. intolerance stuff going on you don't have any of that stuff that's good and then i've also made like vegan mozzarella from tapioca starch which is like the the, the main mm. ingredient of that and you can get it to look and taste just like 
mozzarella, like fresh mozzarella cheese or buffalo mozzarella, and you could actually brown it and everything like on pizza, and it's it's absolutely I, wonderful. I got to tell you, Rich, I, I, I've come into this as the vegetarian, mm-hmm. and I really want to try the 30-day vegan. Yeah. But as we've talked a lot about- Yogurt, it's not right? That my fiance, John, wouldn't support it. He just- probably wouldn't be doing it with me. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm already kind of like making something different for myself often in place of the meat that's eaten. So I have to kind of get, I have to get a game plan together and then let you all know I'm hitting my 30 day, but I'm, I'm getting pretty inspired here. And maybe, you. maybe we could kick it off with Deja Burchette and bring her in and cook yeah. a meal for you. That's got her vegan oh. cheese in it because yeah, I think she does. Uh, an absolute awesome job. All right, Sarah, thanks for battling through. Great job today. Remember, you can find us at realmeneatplants.com. Uh, you can also find us wherever you get podcasts. Our YouTube channel is up right now. Kind of a soft opening as we're putting interviews up there. We'll have a lot more starting in September, but go ahead and subscribe now and go ahead and hit that support button as well at realmeneatplants.com or on Patreon and help the podcast and help also Paul's party, Paul Palooza coming up this weekend as well. So thanks to our guest, Tyler Pierce, the vegan cyclist. Uh, For Eric, Sarah, I'm Rich. We will see you next time. See ya.